Reinholds is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Reinholds Show Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Rhino Show podcast. Oh man, it's 7.30 a.m., 7.50 a.m. my time. It's 9.50 a.m. for my guest time. Uh, I have a very special guest. This episode is proudly brought to you by Cons and Kernels. Um, we're going to talk so much more about that, so I'm not even going to elaborate on that. Um, but before we get into that, I want to introduce my next guest. Her name is... Emily O'Brien. Cons and Kernels actually was all started when Emily O'Brien went to prison. Before Emily was an entrepreneur and social media professional, having created her own firm at a young age and enjoyed great success, regrettably, addiction caused her to make some poor choices that culminated in a four-year jail term. As her sentence began, Emily made it her mission to transform herself, get clean, and make a positive difference during her term. I didn't know how I'd make a difference at this time, says Emily, but I knew I would find something I cared about that would benefit from a purpose-driven facelift. Thus, Cons and Kernels was born. Redemption, my friends, redemption. Upon her release, Emily made a decision to start a popcorn company that uses high-quality, health-conscious ingredients to create unique flavors inspired by the ones she found in prison. A fun self deprecating brand that would also help remove the stigma around people who had prior convictions and provide newly released offenders with the chance at a fresh start through training, empowerment, and education. Emily has been featured by the CBC, CH News, The Hamilton Spectator, AM 900, and other media. Her upcoming web TV series, Criminally Acclaimed, is set to debut this fall on YouTube. I actually did catch a sneak peek of it on her Instagram. Her dad uh, was was uh, was chilling out, talking. Uh, Emily, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. So you can you can tell this story way better than I can. So take us all the way back. So you had a business prior to being arrested or being addicted. Mm-hmm. Can you just give us kind of the backstory on that? And everybody who's listening to the show, um, I think, you know, again, our, our audience, a lot of our audience could relate to to Emily. And I think that this is a really great transformative story. But I think it's also a great story that uh, takes off the stigma and really kind of goes to the fact that, you know, good people do bad things. Um, and, you know, here on the show, I, you know, I'm a proponent of, uh, you know, I think if somebody's a piece of shit, they're a piece of shit. But if somebody is a great person that makes a bad mistake, I do think that they should get a second chance. So, Emily, please bestow your amazing epic story for us. Okay. I guess I'll start when I moved to Toronto in 2013. And I graduated from the University of Guelph. And then I lived in Indonesia for a while because I worked for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I know this sounds really fancy, but it was an internship and no one else wanted to go there. So I like... (laughs) didn't have any competition when applying for it (laughs) but I was like this is great so I was like yeah I definitely want to go there I lived with um, a host family and I kind of worked with some uh, government organizations there for about eight weeks and then I came back to Toronto I guess Hamilton and then moved to Toronto and started building a uh, a social media business because in all my travels that I'd done when I was kind of younger and growing up and buying plane tickets was always something I would buy instead of purses or bags or shoes because I loved exploring and seeing different parts of the world. Anyway, so I had like a decent amount of travel experience at this point and people really liked what I did like on my social media. So they're like, oh, like 
I love like how you take pictures. I love how you tell your story. Can you do like my social media for me? I'm like, okay. So I started building very slowly, like a micro social media agency where I could manage other accounts and maybe take pictures and do some consulting work. And then that actually ended up growing. And so I was living in Liberty, Liberty Village and I had like almost 150 clients at this point. So I had to hire a bunch of people. And these weren't like huge, huge brands, but these were like small entrepreneurs, some local restaurants, things like that. Cause I didn't have the capacity at this point as a you know, small business to do like all this fancy video and stuff. Right? What, like, what, ah, what, what year but would like, have this been, Emily, when you started this agency? What year would have that been? Do you remember? 2013. Okay, 2013. 2013. Perfect. Yeah. So I was running it for about two years and in media, there tends to be like a lot of grandeur. Sometimes there tends to be a lot of going out and business done after hours. And, you know, I liked to go out. I liked to be part of like that lifestyle. And I also was kind of shy. So I thought like I had to like drink and stuff to like get out of my normal introverted self, which didn't turn out to be true. But I started using like a lot of cocaine, drinking a lot. And this was normalized by like the people that I was surrounded with, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't see like it as a problem. Basically mm. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like I didn't work every day. Like I could get up at 11 and still do all my work. Right. Cause I was like, oh, this is great. I can sleep in, still go out at night. Cause I was getting business done at night. And then I met someone through my work actually. Mm. And at this time, like my family was splitting up and you know, like I don't care like how old you are when your family splits up and you see people in pain and you see people suffering and mm. and treating each other the wrong way and causing more pain that's hard mm. you know when you're when you just love like everyone in your family so much like i love my mom and dad equally right but obviously they were going through something that meant they couldn't really be together anymore and then this was kind of because it just seemed to prolong and i just turned to what i knew the best and that was drugs and alcohol mm. and so in the midst of all this, of this like additional use, additional substance use, I, uh, I met someone through my work and he's like, oh, like I'll just wanna take you on a trip. And I was a pretty open-minded girl at this age. Like I wasn't in a long-term relationship. It was the era of like Tinder and Bumble and all those like kind of casual dating apps. So you could be like dating, I don't know, two, three people at one time. You know what I mean? It was just like, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Swipe to the left, swipe to the wrong. <laughs> everyone was kind of doing that and I was like pretty open about what I was doing with when I met people and he's like oh do you want to like just go on this this trip but he like this wasn't right away this was after I'd known him for about six months and he like never seemed shady never seemed like like anything other than what he was um he's but then he started buying me like all these presents that I didn't want like he bought mm. like a tv and like a watch that had no battery in it <laughs> then he bought me like a sound system that when my mom tried to sell it when I went to prison, it had like cement in the speaker. So it was like, oh, <laughs> it was obviously like from the back of a truck. Looks <laughs> 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 like random gifts. And I was like, do you even pay attention to anything of what I do? Cause I'm never home. Like, why are you buying me stuff for like the home? Like, it's not like I'm gonna go and watch cable or like a Netflix on a Wednesday night. Like, that's just not me. Mm. Right? So like the weird gifts started coming. And then he's like, hey, I have an idea. Like, why don't we just go on like a trip and help you forget about what's going on with your family? Because, you know, drinking and drugs, like they tell you the biggest lie ever. They tell you that you're getting through something. But then the second you like, like are triggered by something, you like explode, right? Like you either see people are like stoic when they're drunk or you see people like 
bawling their eyes out when they're drunk. Like even at like nightclubs and stuff, you see people crying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one or the other. And so kind of that's what my substance used to turn to with like the lashing out on people and showing up drunk at and like under the influence at family events and I don't know, just like blowing off plants with them and stuff. So mm. it wasn't good. Mm. It wasn't good. I just thought it was okay that I was an adult and this was the way that I was handling it. Mm. Uh, when I agreed to go on a trip with this person, he came over before he booked the tickets. And this was like two in the afternoon. He's like, I just got to talk to you about something mm. first. I'm like, I'm like, oh, like, what's it about? Like, why can't mm. you just text me? And I was just like, no, no, it's yours. And he, I knew that he was going through a separation of his own. So like, I assumed it was just something to do with his, like, he didn't want to text me because like, he, well, I don't know, I didn't know if his ex or something was going through his phone. So I was like, okay, maybe it's just something about that. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, I want to go on this trip, but there's just like some work that I have to do when I'm down there. And I'm like, well, what is it? And he's like, okay, like I have to get some drugs back. And I was like, okay, no, absolutely not. And then he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I even asked you, like, I'm, like, I'm embarrassed. And then he left. But like, he brought me a couple of bottles of wine when he came over. Cause he knew that I'd be going out. And then I go out that night and it's like, I don't know, 1230 at night. And he's like, forget I even asked you that. Let's pretend I never said anything. Come on this trip with me. Like, it'll just be you and me, no bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And he's like, okay, send me your passport information when you get home. And I got home at 2.30 in the morning and literally took a picture of my passport and sent it to him. An idiot. So, and anyway, that was critical error, obviously. And immediately these tickets are booked. Like, I'm not talking about a couple, of, I'm like literally the next day. He's like, okay, we're gonna leave for tonight. Let's gonna pick this up. And I also learned something about this method of purchasing tickets when it came to like my arrest. Mm. Um, tickets and we're going to somewhere called St. Lucia and I'm like well what's St. Lucia like I've never heard of that before he's like no like I told you before we were going here like it was just your drinking and I was like listen pal the reason that I drink so much is or the reason that I do cocaine is that I can be sharp and remember things so like and this is just another excuse that I told myself why I use the drug which mm-hmm. it was true like it prevented me from being like that sloppy girl at the bar but anyway so I, I saw some like signs of oddity like oddness when mm. I was like at the and then I was already at the airport so I just like believed him when he said it was just my drinking that you know was the reason why I was making the the error in like where we were going mm. and that's, I guess I just believe you and then so we get on the plane three days we're there for three days and it's like completely fine and having so much fun like we drank like he gets me like drugs I'm like, okay and then the third day, it's like the middle of the afternoon and I haven't really done anything. Like I wasn't drunk or anything. He's like, okay, in half an hour, our friends are coming over. They're picking us up when you're getting in the car. Mm. And I was like, what in the car? He's like, did you really think it was just fun and games? He's like, we're, we're here to work. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go on and on about how it all happened, but like, sure. anyway, we go to this she like this there's a woman there who's very friendly with me and she's like oh well, thank you so much for doing this like so and so told you like you're gonna help this out and i'm like so basically he's taking my information told these people that i'm doing it with him and it has intended to profit off me bringing drugs back for him interesting yeah and then so on the last day we i'm really pissed like i'm pissed i'm sad i'm mad at myself and like all these emotions 
I'm also not too worried because, you know, at the end of the day, I do trust this guy. And with the more that I drank during the week, it helped me feel a little bit braver, but not, mm. not that much. And he didn't want me on my computer. And people are like, why didn't you go to the cops? And I'm like, it's a drug trade, people. Like, look where I am. Like, mm. I'm not going to risk a drug operation in a country where I don't live. Yeah. Like, that's, you just, you just don't do that. Yeah. And at the, on the, like, the same side of the spectrum, I also trusted him, right? Like, I was like, okay, if all I have to do is just do this to get home, then mm. I guess I'll to get home. Yeah. Got all, was totally bad at it. I didn't drink or anything on the plane. Like I was sober the whole way. <laughs> yep. And I did this intentionally so that even if I didn't like sabotage the mission myself, like maybe like the officers would be able to tell that I wasn't like doing this with pride, that I yeah. wasn't like, yeah. I was a gang or something trying to like be all badass and you know, so like um, I was radiating signs of discomfort that I couldn't even control. Yeah. And this includes like, I don't know, my eyes were darting all over the place. I was shaking. I like, I tried to laugh. And they know the difference between a fake laugh and a not fake laugh. Like, they they have extensive professional training on, like, what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> With people yeah. that from, you know, drug, not drug smuggling, but like, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of smuggles from St. Lucia because it's like a, a halfway point between, like, yeah, and all these. So you, so you basically got on the plane with drugs in Indonesia, flew to Saint Lucia, got to Saint Lucia, and then Saint Lucia yeah. is, is where is where you got caught. I was in Saint Lucia the whole time. I just lived in oh. Indonesia for a ah, week. I see. Okay. Yeah. I don't know when I met um, Mr. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then, when so you took off from Saint Lucia back home here to Canada. Oh, yeah. and then and then did you make it all the way to Canada? I made it all the way. Oh, uh, and then that was so it's kind of like oh. not not to not to glamorize or or but it's kind of like the movies where you get on the plane, you make it to your destination, and then once you land, that's when stuff kind of got murky for you. Yeah, it was like a nightmare, pretty Jeez. much. But I think it was that serious. I was like, okay, like you know what, I'm gonna get out of this. Okay, like. He organized all this. It was my fault because I knew, like, I don't know, but maybe I'll just, if something happens, maybe I'll just have to pay a fine or, I don't know. Like, I didn't, oh, yeah. I had no idea. I was really ignorant. Like, I, I just had no idea, you know? And I think this was obviously a weakness that was tapped into when I was brought on this trip, right? So. So just to bring context to this, because you come from, you know, I know your family split up, but it's, you, it's not like you came from a bad home or anything, right? You had a great family. You were loved by your parents. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I even, I uh, I checked your dad out, um, you know, just to get a sense before we did the interview. Um, just kind of, you know, I, I watched a video on your Instagram. I digital deep dived him on LinkedIn. Um, and, um, you know, just to see, because when you posted the video on Instagram, I couldn't help but notice the look in his eyes. You know, he, you can see that, and I'm not him and I'm not you, but I am a father too and I have kids, so... It's almost like this look of, I mean, I'm sure your parents felt guilt, you know, and probably blamed themselves for the situation to a degree. And I guess what I'm trying to do is build context for our audience that's listening to to really understand that you, it's not like you're not this person that's coming from this bad home. Like it can really happen to anybody, your situation. Mm -hmm. And given the fact that clearly you're at a vulnerable position of your life, 
um, obviously made you a little bit easier of a, you know, quote unquote target for your said person mm-hmm. that kind of brought you into this uh, mess. So um, I guess for you now, looking back, because you're sober, you're going out there and you're being an advocate and you're, you know, I, I think it's extremely courageous for you to talk about your story. And I think you make like, you make like an ex-con look good, man. I mean, I'm like, yo, I like Emily. I like that about her. And you have this great energy to it. And by you coming out and doing that and pushing out great energy, it makes people like me more receptive to to hear your story and, and look at things from a different perspective. So, uh, and I'm sure that I don't know what your goal is, but could you shine some light on your goal and why after this experience, you know, you're sitting in prison, where did the light bulb go on to say, I'm not going to let this defeat my journey here. Like I need to, I'm going to do my time. Um, but when I get out, like my life's not over, you know, I'm not going to partake in this and I'm actually going to use this to propel me to something good. Like when did that start happening for you? It actually started happening when I got arrested again before I actually was sentenced. So when I, when I was arrested initially at the airport, I was put on house arrest. Okay. And I had very strict conditions, which I didn't, I didn't like, like, because it took me like a long time to accept it, and I caused a lot of pain in my family. Like, but they also didn't understand addiction and, and why I could be addicted, because they did, they never had, they never drank, they never did any drugs. So like, they would try to parent me in a way that was yeah. like, they just didn't understand. Yeah. And like, went on a trip um, to Indonesia. I also like got sexually assaulted, and I didn't talk about this. And so like, I kind of. I didn't, but I also didn't want to bring it into my story because I felt guilt because of like, I don't know why I felt guilt, but I just like, I felt like it was my fault. So like, I didn't talk about it because it had to do with like my drinking and stuff. So I was like, okay, I'll just like leave this out. But I harbored that guilt and then like the kind of exasperated things. Of course. Anyway, so yeah, like when I got arrested a second time is because I was uh, disobeying my bail conditions and I went out of my house in my car <laughs> and the cops were like oh you're not supposed to be out they like read my plates and then I got thrown in jail for another weekend and my lawyer was like okay Emily like if you do this again like you're not getting out of jail like you're, you're gonna have to sit and remand until you know the, the case is finalized and I was like okay this is like he's like Emily so many people care about you and want you to see, to see you succeed but they obviously know that sobriety is a is mandatory for you like it's just something that like I embrace way too much risk, you know, when I when I drink and clearly, I mean, entrepreneurship is all about risk, right? You have to be able to handle a little, a little bit of risk. But I think when I <laughs> when I drank, it was just like I just didn't give a flying whatever. Like I was really selfish and I didn't really care about like the love that my parents had given me and like letting me live in their house because I had to move back in with my parents. So there's like this whole thing to like reconstruct their life. Of course. And at a really sensitive time. So when I got to prison after like deciding I was going to make my life better and deciding that I was not going to let this define me. And um, we were all like making popcorn and putting our own recipe, like flavor ideas on it. And then I was like, why don't I like start a popcorn business so I can create employment for myself? Because I like Mm. creating employments for Mm. myself by like advocating for like the things in the system that don't make sense. Like... For example, cash bail doesn't make sense for a lot of people that have no money. Yeah. And like my parents didn't pay my legal fees. Like I think a lot of people see me as like some rich girl that like just got out. And I was like, no, like my parents didn't pay my legal fees. Like I am in debt to my parents right now. 
Um, I like I owe them like thirty thousand dollars because they yeah. like want to see me in there because they knew I had a good heart. Like I always, I grew up like volunteering and always like helping people. It's just like substance use was like just out of control, and so yeah, like I knew that I had to ditch that to make my life better, but also that if I didn't have parents, if I didn't have people supporting me. You can't just bail someone out of jail who's your friend for importing narcotics, and because it's like a very serious defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, 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 meant, I mentioned to you on the conversation because I brought up Jordana Golis, who's a criminal defense lawyer out in Toronto, and I mean she's yeah. been on the podcast and we've had extensive conversations where, and I mean we know this that you know the the criminal justice system in Canada is directly linked to financial status, man. I mean, I mean if you don't have uh, you know friends, family, or resources. Um, you know, if you get if you get caught up in a sticky situation, even if you're not guilty, like even if something happened and the cards just were not in your favor, I mean, you got people literally sitting in jail that are actually innocent. But you know, through yeah. that 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 middle portion between getting arrested, court, and then kind of you know going to trial, you have people that sit in prison, you know, completely innocent for for months, yeah. sometimes years. Yeah. It, I mean, just, I don't know the United yeah, States yeah. well, but the United States is brutal for that. I mean, you got people. And then what happens is, you know this, you go into prison, sometimes, you know, it's not the most unsavory, you know, savory place. Then you get caught up in the prison life and then you went in there for something you weren't convicted or didn't even do. But now you do got something that you did because now you're in this whole lifestyle thing, right? It's a really, it's a really murky system, right? So it's good that you did have at least your family that said, okay, we're going to, we're going to help you along this, this journey, right? Yeah, and I saw, like, so many people that, like, I know it was still prison and I know it was awful, but, like, it could have been so much worse for me and I wanted to help build a platform for other people to, like, be able to share their voice. Because for the same thing that I did, like, people would be sitting in remand, like, in jail, like, getting way longer. And it's because it's it's how you're represented and if you can even represent yourself and if you come from, like, a, a broken home or if, like, your family doesn't believe you. Like, my family didn't believe me at first. Like, we got in a lot of fights. Believe me. You're like, how long have you been doing this for? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was um, it, though? What was it that you think, like, really set you apart, though, from 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 your other your other people that are in prison? Like, you're sitting in prison because I'm trying to get this. I want the context. I want you're sitting in prison. You're meeting all kinds of people. What was your, like, were you scared to first initially go to prison? I mean, you're just kind of this, you know, you know, you don't look, you don't look like you're, crazy or anything you know i mean i mean at the same time though i always say you know be careful for the silent person in the room because they're the ones that are crazy right but you you look you look like somebody that's like yo like you're not aggressive or you know you know what i mean so how did you like were you scared (laughs) i was honestly i was a little bit at the beginning but then when i thought about how I got there and how and when I started researching my kind of offense and how many people were actually incarcerated for the same thing I knew that there's probably gonna be a lot of people that got up just wrapped up in the same thing that I did and I knew I was just a human mm. and I knew how it looked on paper mm. and how it could have been presented if I didn't share the story firsthand so I knew that like a lot of people in there were, were just humans and I was actually kind of interested to have this experience if that's if that's weird like I don't know. I kind of wanted to, like, see how other people got in there. Like, see how I could 
help them see how I can make a difference because I've always been like that. I've always been about emotionally profiting over the work that you do. So if you are doing work that's mm. dicey and shitty and like makes you feel like crap, like you don't do good work. But if you do work that's actually helping people, helping society, and something that like I have firsthand experience in now, <laughs> like it's so much more uplifting and it makes you so much more driven and motivated because you're um, really creating emotionally space. profiting. Ooh, I like that. Where did I like that? Where did you come up with emotionally profiting? I, I I've actually never heard that term together. I like that. Emotionally profiting. Yeah. That makes me feel like I need to take a nice internal water bath and cleanse my soul because it's, I'm big on vibes and big on energy and spirit and stuff. And it's like emotionally profiting to me seems it's very holistic. Like it's, it's a very organic, nice feeling. The moment you said that, what is, how did you come up with that term? Did you hear it? Did you read in a book? Like, what does that mean? I honestly came up with it and it means like, you know you're doing good work and nothing's going to come back and bite you in the ass later. It's just going to grow and be good. Mm. So, you know, sometimes, like, a lot of the times in work, we like to take shortcuts. We like to, like, it's just human nature. We like mm. to get things done and sometimes compromise our values. And I definitely compromised my values and what I was doing. And that was, like, breaking the law and also giving into, like, abuse in a relationship, which is also not very much, like, like me now, but I guess alcohol and drugs, you know, they, they're like, <laughs> they think they, they create chemistry when there's no chemistry, right? That's fabricated. Mm. So you do things out of emotion for people you think you care about or and you think care about you when really it's, it's all in your, <laughs> it's all in your head. It's all like the alcohol and drugs thing. Like, oh yeah, this is a great relationship. Like, don't worry about the bad stuff. Well, it's interesting how that ties in because we look at you know, if we go back into the phase where, I mean, basically what that guy did uh, to you is in some sense, well, not some senses, he basically groomed you. I mean, we see yeah. these, we see this in um, uh, sex trafficking. We see this in, you know, recruiting for the next, you know, uh, corner boy dude that's going to be running drugs or peddling drugs. The drug game, too, not that I've been a part of it, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm street smart at the same time. I mean, a lot of the people that make money in the drug game is the people that are higher up, not the not the ones peddling the everyday crap. And a lot of the times the, yeah. the people at the higher up, you don't even know who the hell they are. You I mean, they, they could you would you'd walk by them in the street, wouldn't even know, you know, hey. Right. And that's kind of the art of it. But good sales, you're talking about emotional profitability. But a lot of people say good sales is the transfer of emotions, meaning um, if I want to sell you something. If I come at you and say, uh, Emily, I want you to sponsor my podcast. It was never like that. It's like, Emily, so uh, I love my show. This is what we do. I'm really excited. It's the guest we've got. Like, I'm already transferring my emotion to you. And that is a sales. It's, and that's a, to me is a great sales because you're, you're not, you're, you're trying to sell from a place of value and, and say, okay, you know, let's sit beside you rather than across from you, if that makes sense, right? Even you and I are having a discussion right now. And to me, I, I always look at podcast interviews as we're not, I'm not interviewing you. You and I are just having a nice discussion. And this is where you start to see a lot of the, the fruits, you know, and I know you, you've done a lot of interviews and you're now talking to a lot of people. But if you really take away the ones that you really enjoyed, it was really just a conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So coming fast forward into um, parents helped you with bail you messed up, kind of, you know, got back in, went to prison, in prison, said, listen, I want to understand who I'm in prison with, um, showing empathy, understanding their stories, doing research on your own charges. 
fast forwarding to okay did my time in prison came out i think you said you're now sober for two years two years and a little bit yeah. right congratulations yeah. on that um and you know so now you're heavy heavy into you know kind of like a community ambassador in, in, in some respects you're out there you're advocating um you're drawing awareness to certain uh, subjects and things like that just give us a little bit of detail on that because i think again so many people i mean you're probably you got to be like in the one percent of people that go to prison come out and they become this amazing like you're like i mean i see you with pictures with cops and stuff because they're using you as kind of like hey just because you got caught up doesn't mean this is the end of your life and they're using you as a great example of well this is reform man this is redemption you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. can you speak yeah. to that yeah, like right now, I guess I do a couple things. I run the popcorn business where I like employ people that have either had really bad, doesn't have to be physical prison. It can be like a, a, an addiction of, a prison of addiction. Like some of my, of my staff have like, have recovered recovered in m- remarkable ways. And they have, that hasn't led them in jail, but they needed like something to do, like a second chance at like life, mm. right? Um, one of my staff, he was in prison in Manitoba so he works part-time and then I also have a woman who was actually fired from her work because she like has high high functioning autism so mm-hmm. two other people that have worked in in law enforcement and stuff before and so that's the, the popcorn side the other side that I do is I like I meet with employers and I do consulting with employers mm-hmm. to help them manage their HR policies because not just is it good for society helping people that come out of prison give them jobs it makes business sense and when you're an employer most most of the time you care about the, the business side of it first mm. so like my argument is that when you come out of prison you have so much to prove and like you are so you have so much more dedication and loyalty to a job as opposed to like just regular people right so the people that I've hired have been like amazing they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for giving me a chance. Because it's not that they don't have the skills, it's like they don't have the belief that they have the skills. Mm. Let me ask yeah, you this so question. Like, this is a very pointed yeah. question. Sorry to interject because I think it's so important. You have the person that made the mistake was convicted, went to prison. You have the society that's waiting for you to get out. Two parties each have certain responsibilities in given situation. What are the responsibilities of the person coming out of prison? And what are the responsibilities you feel that society has to receive people coming from prison? And of course, it's a, you know, you can't, I'm not going to make your answer a blanketed answer because if you went and committed like a massive murder and, and, you know, or, or, or sexually assaulted kids and you're a repeat offender, like that, to me, this is a different discussion. You know what I mean? But if you're somebody that's like, yo, I made a mistake and I'm coming out and, and I, I'm asking this question because you brought up HR and you're consulting with employers but so societal responsibilities and then the the, the person who's convicted what's their responsibilities I think well I think first of all the government has the responsibility of making sure the person going into prison gets help for the reason why they're in prison in the first place mm. it's usually not because they're evil and it's usually not because they're like there's a reason why they committed something violent or there's a reason why they did the robbery. Was it like poverty? Was it drug addiction? Right? And so sometimes what society, most, actually all the time, 
what they do is put them in prison, put us in prison first without getting treatment. So I think first this, the government has to put people in treatment before they send them to prison, before they send them to like a cesspool of more drugs and violence and trauma. Mm-hmm. And make sure that there's like a, uh, an actual release plan in place for people that maybe don't have the family, maybe that obviously when you're in prison, you don't have work, right? You're making $5 a day. How is that supposed to help someone who's in jail because of poverty, because mm-hmm. they did a crime out of desperation? And people also don't know this, but that people have to pay rent in prison. 30% of your $5 and whatever, what have you, cents per day goes to, goes back to the facility. And some people are like, oh, well, like, why are they supposed to work in, I can't believe they can work in prison. And it's like, well, yeah, because the, if you actually read Corrections Canada website, the purpose of prison is to rehabilitate. And if you can't rehabilitate someone through like better work, teaching skills, and also like a release plan, what's the point? It's just costing, even more because now we all pay taxes that go to boards prison and now if we're not hiring people and giving people a chance when they come out of prison guess what we're paying for their social assistance programs too so it's like there's so much talent and that that goes to waste because people are ignorant to what happened in someone's life and what caused them to do something that they did all they see is like someone on paper Mm. but when it's it's so much easier to forgive someone that you know right Mm. for something that they did it's like oh that's my buddy you know like I'll give them a job, but when it's someone you don't know, you're like, I don't know, right? And that's like, that's human nature. Mm-hmm. But I think if we begin to understand that people do things out of pain and suffering and ignorance for the most part, I mean, there are some people in jail that are like, want to get greedy and they, you know, they were living that high flying lifestyle, but the mo- majority of people in prison aren't like that. Mm-hmm. They just got sick. So that's kind of what I advocate for is that we do th- think of pain and not evil now who's emily o'brien as a person are you geek are you geeky are you you cor- are you corky are you funny are you are you serious do you try to you try to go for the sexy look like what do you what do you do like who's emily you know who who, who the hell are you i mean above all the prison stuff and and advocating and, and whatnot you know if i was to ask your parents like who the hell's emily who is this person at uh how old are you now emily if you don't mind me asking 31. So you're 31 years old. You went to prison at what age? 25? 20, 28. 27? I went last year. 20. Okay. 20, so yeah. you're, and then when would you say all, cause you, you didn't uh, like start doing drugs in, or Indonesia. Like how old were you when, before that all happened? I was doing drugs. I was just doing like the Indonesian drugs there. I was doing mushrooms oh. cause it was legal. Yeah. <laughs> So, so who, who was I did that, So, who was that person? Who, who are you? Because I, I, I think, it, I think it's fascinating because everybody has this kind of, you know, oh my God, this person went to prison, and I, I, it's, it's ironic the way people think about it. It's like, it's like this monster, you know. And like, I'm a big true crime fan too. Like, I, I'm a geek when it comes to true crime fan. I can just watch like documentaries. I've always been like that since a little kid. And even when you talk about like serial killers and stuff, everybody's like. They're, they look like they got horns coming out of their head. No, they don't. They look like the most blended people, a lot of them, in society you would never know. So, you know, we, you know, again, people think all this. So, for people listening, who the hell are you, man? Describe. We want to know about you. This is your time to be, be narcissistic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I 
I like I love sports. I loved activities. I loved reading and learning and building stuff. Mm. Um, I was definitely mm. a tomboy when I was younger. My parents put me in a lot of sports, and I always got technical fouls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, so when I went to high school, I like was pretty introverted because when I was younger, I was either playing sports or at the library. Mm. And I always I also mm-hmm. always had like a job. I like delivered flyers because like I wanted to buy this Vince Carter jersey, and it was like eighty dollars, and like. <laughs> Like, this is like this is how much I love basketball. <laughs> so I was like 10 years old saving $80 for Vince Carter. <laughs> it was like my first major purchase. Are you and a basketball person? You love basketball? Yeah, for sure. Did, did you play like basketball? basketball? Oh, you did, eh? Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, saved up, so, so, so you saved up for the Vince Carter jersey. So that was your first big purchase. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that like I could work to buy the things that I wanted because my allowance was only 25 cents. And I was like, oh, this is just not going to cut it. So I couldn't afford all the things that like, like my parents, they did well, but they were very frugal. They weren't like, they didn't buy us everything that we wanted. Like they put us in like, like I said, like camps and and stuff. And they taught us like the meaning of like the value of, of working and not just like spoiling your kids. And so, yeah, I had to. You know, buy the stuff. And my mom didn't believe in lip smackers or like wet and wild nail polish like all my friends had. So I was like, well, I guess I better work to buy this stuff too. Yeah. And then I just got hooked on working and because like working not only gave me money that I could buy stuff with and like buy plane tickets with, but I also learned like a lot of new skills. Like I I would try anything. Like I did like door to door knife sales. Like, I don't know. I did thing. I did like a lot of experiential marketing. So I was able to really harness the skills that I had and what I was good at and what I wasn't good at, which was, so I'm not good at like, doing accounting and inputting stuff on the computer, but I can like go out for 16 hours a day and talk to people. Right. So, so, so you're, you're fun. Do you have a desire to, you know, get married, have kids or have you thought about that at all down, down the road or are you a hopeless romantic or, or do you have a fiance? Do you have a boyfriend romantic. right now? No. No, just, <laughs> just pretend I'm the Jamaican version of Doctor Phil. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> um, honestly, like I spent my 20s doing that. Like I spent my 20s doing a bunch of drugs and hanging out with guys and like building a business. But still, like boys and and like drugs and drinking were like my priority. Like I would choose that over building a business a lot of the time. Like I'd go out and sometimes I wouldn't work at all. So I'm. Mm. Um, and then that's when it led me into that like bad relationship. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just build this business for a while, and if I meet mm. someone, I, I will. Mm. I'm not like have my heart set on like, oh, I need to get married this time. Because then I know that I'm an outside the house person right now, and I know that to like grow my business and to like use my skills, I it's very hard for me to do that like outside inside the house all the time. Mm. And so one day it'll come. I do have a dog, but she's at my aunt's right now. Her name's Count. <laughs> Um, but yeah I like to go I'm very social Um, but then I also like my alone time so it's there's not really room for anyone in my life and I I don't know maybe there is but like nothing very nothing where it's like okay I'll be home at five I can't wait to see you not not that kind of stuff like maybe like once a week or something (laughs) so would you say you're naturally an introverted person or an extroverted person because you know what I've talked to you. I, I talked to you on the phone a little bit, and then I talked to you. You know, now I'm talking to you video to video, and I'm a big body language person. I, I try to pick up on you know cues and stuff like that. 
And you seem like somebody who's um, kind of shy a little bit, but then also very, you know, onward. It's almost like your story, your mission in Crusade right now seems almost bigger and more important to you than your anything else. Meaning you're willing to step out of your bubble to really push this crusade because that's what your mandate is um, currently. And you're, you know, I can tell that through this whole process and what you're doing, you are learning a lot about yourself even more going along the way. And you're also growing. And I always say, like, if you're growing, you know, like, if you feel too comfortable in life, I feel like that's not a good thing. I feel like you should always feel like your your hairs in the back of your neck are starting to stick up. Maybe you're sweating a little bit because you're you're you're, you're putting yourself into situations that are literally causing you to grow and adapt to that. So, what's um, what's your thoughts on that? How do you feel about all that? I think that's a hundred percent true, for sure. And I'm glad, like, because like I said, I spent a lot of my twenties drinking and doing drugs, and that's why I was able to be out all the time. But in mm. prison, guess yeah. what? You're sober and you don't got no you have no phone, right? So you have to have face-to-face conversations with everyone. So that's when I used prison as my time to like get up practicing in front of groups. Like I wrote and produced a song in prison and I performed it in front of the max inmates. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I had a lot of friends in there. I really did. Because I saw people as people and I made people laugh. And I like I help people with stuff like maybe writing a resume or making a resume and yeah because you have to develop a really thick skin like you have to be able to take heat and like I took a lot of heat from my parents I took a lot of heat from the law enforcement and then when you tell a story publicly you're gonna get negative feedback sometimes or people are gonna challenge you Mm. and you have to be able to stick up for yourself and that but I love it I love this challenge now because it's like I know that I'm that I have a case I got a case and I'm proving it with the work that I'm doing. Like I've living proof and not, not just me. There's like 10 other people that I went into prison with that are all doing remarkable things Mm. that I know. So one day if you have children, if you're blessed to have children and your son or daughter says, you know, somebody says, could you describe mommy? How would you want them to describe you? Have you ever thought about that? Your legacy, kind of that everlasting. Mm -hmm. I think I'm someone that handles my shit. I don't know. <laughs> like my mom is gangster. <laughs> like I didn't. I never denied what happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I told how it happened, and I but I I spent a very short time playing the victim. I spent more time being angry, but not playing the victim. So I think that by owning up to our own mistakes and responsibilities, um, and you know where we could have made different decisions that's where we find our true strength and that's the kind of people that we want to be that's what's going to make our businesses stronger that's what's going to make our friendship stronger uh, our marriage is stronger is by admitting mm. that we did something mm. wrong absolutely and like in, absolutely. in this world of like perfection um people don't want to do that they think that it's a weakness but what i teach people and employers is that when someone tells you that they came out of prison you want to harness that you want to harness that strength because that takes a lot and prison is hard and everyone's journey is so different. So to be able to come out of prison and be like, hi, I'm humble enough to tell you about my story and I really need to work so I can help grow your business and help, you know, get my family back or something like that. That's like tremendous. And I think sometimes people just need to hear it. And people don't realize that they too have made the same mistakes that could land them in jail, like texting and driving and all this, so many rules that people break on a day-to-day basis that can land you with charges. Mm. So, 
How did you, how did you, um, this is so funny, eh? The power of social media. How did you come across, how did you come across me again? Because it was so weird, because one day I opened up my Instagram inbox, and then I see this cons and kernels, and then you oh, said yeah. something. Just, a, just, it was interesting, because your, your message, and I was like, at first I thought it was like spam or something, because I'm like, what, cons and kernels? Then I like clicked on it, and I'm like, okay. How did you, how did you find, how did you find me? Okay, so some of my favorite icons in Toronto follow your page, and you interviewed one. And Shocklair was interviewed by you, and then I like checked out your page, and I was like, oh, because he's like one of my favorites. Like, yeah, I just love his music. The new song today. Yes. And, yeah, get on your page on your thing. So I watched the interview, and I was like, oh, this is this is cool. So, so are you are you a, are you a are are you a hip hop head? Do you like mm-hmm. you like hip hop music? Yeah. It's Interesting, eh? Yeah, you know, you know, Shaw Claire was so like it's nostalgic because I remember that Let's Ride song back in nineteen yeah. like nineteen ninety nine, right? I think I was like, yeah, I was just a teenager at that time. No, I, yeah. I appreciate it. I, 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 I bring that up because the way you talked and the way you kind of talked to me was was I found very interesting. Like it felt very warm, you know. And then I would you respond back and you'd respond back, and then you know I'm like the. The first thing I try to do is if if a brand reaches out or or messages, I try to I I I like to see a face. I'm very adamant on like who the hell's the person behind yeah. this username talking to me, and then I went and checked your Emily and I'm like oh man this is great. But you're so humble and you got a great following. Like you you busted your butt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you're like I know you're like yeah you can just follow that page. I'm like that's a great page. And then I and then I started doing the digital deep dive, and I'm like, I'm just asking you questions after that point. <laughs> uh, no, I think that like it's a lot. It's really easy to find people. It's not. It's easy, but it's also difficult to like find people that are a lot like you online. So that's when I saw like a lot of similar qualities in you and like your interests and your. So I was like, cool, because I wanted to build a new network. Like before I went to prison, I was like going after hours, and I was like, you know, I didn't have the best network of. <laughs> Like they were, they were my friends, but they were just my party friends. So I was like, part of my growth is kind of like building something new and something different, and people that are positive mm-hmm. and have positive attitudes and positive vibe and, and share good messages, messages and messaging. Do you think you're? So. Do you think you're guarded? Do you think you're a guarded person? If you if you remotely talk to me or have any more conversations with me in the future, you will right away understand that Ryan Holtz tries to go into areas in my soul that I I like. A lot of people love me because they hate me like because they're like oh god every time i talk to ryan like like he just wants to pierce your like you can't just say things to me like oh i'm good today i'm good everything's good or you know i'm like well like or or if you say hey ryan like this is how i feel i'm like but why do you feel that way and you're like are you trying to Mm -hmm. psychoanalyze me right now i'm like no i'm not trying to psychoanalyze you but i've always been somebody that i don't like crappy shallow conversations i don't like small talk i'm not good with it I, I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a father. My time is so important to me. I curate. You know, if I have somebody in my circle or I'm having a conversation more than business, it needs to have a two-way depth to it. If that makes sense. So if I you know if yeah. I talk to somebody, I'm like, yo man, I just want I just want the real beans here. I don't want. Don't give me like shake and bake shit. That shit needs to be marinated. You know what I'm saying? Marinate. Right. So do you pass. think? Would you say you're guarded? No, I think like, 
book ever. Like, honestly. <laughs> like, I could tell you story after story of, like, anything you wanted to know. But you, you bring know? up a good and point I- about friendships online because you're right. It's funny. Like, I mean, I always tell people, out of all my following online, I only know four people. Like, I only know yeah. four people. Like, there's not... It's, it's weird because... A lot of people you do kind of interact with, it's almost like if, if there is a lot of depth, I think sometimes they get completely scared and off put. And it's weird because I tell people all the time, right? I own a marketing agency and I'm like, listen, brand equity 101, like be transparent. Don't sell me on you're this big personality and then I meet you in, you know, offline and you're just this little, you know, kind of feathery sheep trying to get by. Like, give me, like, you got to keep it real here, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. So I think like admitting weakness, admitting like massive screw ups is, is great. It was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. So and it's know, a great, and it's a great icebreaker. I mean, it's a great yeah. icebreaker. It's got to be a great icebreaker. Um, yeah. Let's fast forward as we, as we get to the end here. Cons and kernels. Uh, you're sponsoring the episode, which I think is awesome. I love the name. It sounds so like, of course, cons and kernels. But how did that name come into fruition? Like, how did you even come up with that? Well, I asked the people inside prison. I did a prison survey. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because everyone kind of knew, like, what I was working on, and then they loved it, right? Because I was like, I want to do something for us, right? Not just for me, but, like, for us. Like, the, the prison collective, basically. <laughs> and um, so everyone kind of participated in the building of and kernels inside prison like we would do recipe testing in there um and then i had a bunch of names and i handed it out to prisoner like prisoners and the prison staff actually like i even got the staff involved in this so once i had i collected them all and one of my friends helped me collect them and then that's when cons and kernels was the most popular choice so i went with that so explain to everybody too who's listening how they can you know um cons and kernels how can they get a hold of it how can they use it like what is what is your whole business platform with cons and kernels you said that you're uh, you know employing um past you know convicts as well people have been convicted um which i think is absolutely great you're also doing consulting on the hr side going to companies and basically like desensitizing them to to the actual situation of people who are applying who, who do have a criminal record which i think is great so how can yeah. people who are uh, listening, you know, basically help you in your mission, help bring awareness to it and help support it? Well, if there's any teachers listening, if there's any like people that run groups, like I love talking in groups about the different situations that have happened, like HR specialists, um, if they want to like buy the popcorn and, you know, talk about the popcorn and why they bought it, that they're supporting second chances. And then that they're also supporting like the challenge to change societal mindset on, you know, prison and what it's actually doing. It does more harm than good. Mm. And yeah, so that's constantkernels.com slash shop. There's also my email list that people can join to get like stories from me. So maybe popcorn isn't your thing, but you just kind of want to know what's going on. Um, yeah, I talk to like, I go on these little, no, I do not go on rants at all. Like I never go on rants, but I, I love to tell stories because Sometimes I, I look back at all my Facebook albums and my Instagram story out pictures and I'm like, oh my God, like I forgot all that. And mm. so it's like, wow. <laughs> even before prison, like I learned so much just 
I'm traveling internationally and living with different kinds of people. So are you a curious uh, person by nature? Oh my gosh, yes. I yeah. will like take any class. I will take like a quilt making class, anything. Like I love learning. It's awesome and it's so fun. Like, and you have a lot of- and you have a lot of energy too for everybody who's listening to this if you if you're not watching the video version of it once it's up she's literally sitting on her floor right now with her with her her macbook uh um put into her three inch white baseboards with a leather chair um and you've changed body positions like 10 times which tells me you have an insatiable amount of energy <laughs> and morning, yes do you do yoga I do, yeah. I do high impact exercise because, like, I need it, and then yoga to like slow down. <laughs> <laughs> um, Emily, before we wrap up, uh, my last question um, to everybody I have on is always, you know, how can I be of service to you? What can mm-hmm. Ryan Holtz do for you on any level? It's a great question. Think about it too, because a lot of guests. I, it's funny when you ask somebody at the end. Everybody's always used to somebody asking them for something. When somebody says mm-hmm. to you. What can I do for you? How can I be of value and service to your life? Uh, well, if you have any articles you need written or if you need a guest blogger for your site, I'd be happy to write about why hiring people from prison is good for your business or okay. how I built a how I built a business from prison and marketed a business from prison with uh, less than $100. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. Was... Business 101. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I know I absolutely love that. Um, everyone, thank you again for listening to this episode. Emily is truly, truly cool. Um, I'm going to link up all her social media and her website and everything for her business and personal in the show notes. Um, again, we announced this morning that um, we're going to Los Angeles to interview a very special person in March. So we're re- really happy with that. Emily, you, if you don't know much about our show, um, our show was, it was based off um, curiosity. You know, I woke up one day. Um, I do a lot of speaking out in an agency. I've done a lot of TV and stuff like that. But I thought, man, I want to be a radio. I want to be a radio personality or maybe a TV personality. And then, you know, traditional media is like, you know, I mean, digital is where it's at. And I didn't want the bureaucracy of a producer telling me what I can and can't say. And I said, I want a show where I can just have real talk. And I've had everybody from people from celebrity DJs to police officers to criminals to criminal defense lawyers to you know, Inc. 500 business owner CEOs on the, on the show. And I've really um, um, peddled down the bullshit. I don't do any prescripted questions. It's just two people having conversation. And it's it's just something that I absolutely love. I'm, I, I used to get in shit and trouble in school all the time for talking in class and being rambunctious. I'm a huge football player back in the day. Yeah, I used to get in trouble for talking, you know, and and um, there's a lot of great humans out there in this world. And I mean, we have a great audience. You know, social media has been great. But, um, you know, having people like you, it, it humbles us as a show. We call ourselves Team Holds because it's really a team that, uh, that it takes to make all this happen. So um, it is our absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And, and thank you so much for taking the time. Everybody, uh, again, always remember Curiosity is your mandate. Please, again, review on iTunes or anywhere you listen or consume podcasts. And, uh, and we love you.